Hello, and welcome back to Hello from the Offside. I am Brad, and I am joined today by Colin. How's it going, Brad? It's going well. We are currently today, we are missing Davis. He's off doing some family things. And Renee, who wanted me to remind you to smash and hit that like button. So smash the subscribe and hit the like button. Today's episode is going to be focused on the CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, we're going to review all of the MLS matches that took place. I believe there are five total. So we're going to try and keep it around an hour. But before we jump into that, some interesting things have happened across the league. Uh, so we just wanted to jump into that real quick. Uh, maybe talk about it a little bit more than normal, but uh, it should be relatively quick. So the first big thing that happened, or I guess probably the most recent, is that the Galaxy appear to be moving on from Pavone. Renee mentioned in his Galaxy preview that uh, the best move for them would be to, you know, not basically honor his DP contract because of the allegations going on in his home country. And they seem to have been listening because they are doing that. And they have added a French winger DP named Kevin, uh, I believe, Cabrel. Um, it's a five-year deal and he's only 21. Um, I believe he was in the... French League Two, Colin, right? Yeah, he's he's a French yeah. League Two player, and I think they paid five million dollars for him. Yeah, so not a terrible amount. That's so know, that's an awful lot of money for someone in League Two, in my opinion. Yeah, and he only had like seven goals or something, right? Yes. Yeah, he's young. So he is young. he's very young, but I mean that's it's a big step away from Pavone, and I think it's definitely going to affect you know where the Galaxy go this year. I think. You know, with Pavone on the roster, you look at it and he's one of their top three players, I would say, arguably their best player, uh, just performance wise. So it'll definitely alter them. The other big news is well, that... I, let me jump in before. Oh, go ahead. Um, yeah. I, I, think, I think you mentioned, and I may have missed it, that, so, you know, there's this new young money thing that MLS has this year where you can pay someone who's 23 or under essentially unlimited or um, not unlimited funds, but you can pay them a, a fee, you know, unlimited transfer fee and then a, a salary of a certain limit. And they count for much less on your roster. And they're also a sort of separate DP slot. This, this young money slot, which you can have up to two of, I believe. And it doesn't seem like this guy is going to be able to fit under that, even though the galaxy have referred to him as a young money signing. It's going to be interesting to see if that's something they're allowed to do next year. You know, it might not matter this year. They may just be like, great, we've got this slot. Who cares if he's young money, whatever. And next year they'll say, great, now, now our timing is different, so he gets to be under this. I don't know if that's even possible, but um, I, I think this signing is very good if he's young money. If he's not, it's questionable. I agree with that. I think it's definitely going to be interesting to see how that works out. I think we've discussed this before, and I'm not sure if MLS has put out any sort of directive, I guess, on if you have a young money player at the DP level, if after, you know, say you structured the deal where their first year is insane, if the second year then you can slide them into that young money slot if they're still of age, um, and then, you know, open up a DP slot, essentially. So it'll be kind of interesting to see kind of the quirks of how this works. I think overall, we all agree that the young money, do you want to insert rap horn right there for that the young <laughs> money every time we say it? Insert the, uh, <laughs> the athletic Sam Stetchkel rap horn for him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I think, I think we're all in agreement that the young money, the, the new feature, I guess, for MLS this year is, is a great thing and it's going to be good for the league. I mean, we've already seen of late that they've attracted a lot more young talent. So. Yeah, and I like the Galaxy's front office a lot. I think Greg Vanny is very good. I think Dennis DeClose is also very good, but I still wouldn't put it past them to screw up this signing accidentally. Uh, and I, I wish Renee was here to take up for them um, because I am throwing a little bit of shade. You know, it's just the reality of the situation. Like, the crew, I know, the crew were able to get it right, and they've got this dude from uh, this Alexander Matan who's in the Young Money signing. Uh, a couple other teams have done the same thing and gotten it yeah. right. So it's tough. It's just the weird way that it works when you already have DPs is bizarre and, frankly, too convoluted to kind of prevent this exact situation. So it's great for the teams who aren't doing this, like Salt Lake, where 
the galaxy can't just essentially add two more DP level players. Um, mm-hmm. But it kind of sucks for the galaxy. So hopefully, I, I hope like they they know what they're doing, and this is just a, maybe a one year thing, and next year he's young money. But we'll see. While you were saying that, Renee texted me because he must have heard, and he just wanted to remind you that the galaxy have five championships. Uh, so yeah, they, they're okay. They'll be fine. They can they can take a little shade today. Um, that was like they've got those uh, <laughs> they've got those. Um, like Boston Celtics championships from the 1940s when there were three teams. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna say that. So <laughs> he he hates the Sounders enough that I don't need any extra heat. So you can take it. You're a 96 team. I'll so. take the heat. <laughs> he'll he'll just be like Brad Seattle invented that. I'll be like, yeah, sure, why not? But Fine, moving what? right along, uh, the other kind of big news in MLS is that MLS ruled against MLS and Miami has four DPS. So that's that's going to be fun. Basically, what happened was MLS decided that even though they allowed Miami to bring in uh, Matuti as a DP, that they now have four DPs on their roster and they have to figure that out before the cutoff date, which is fast approaching. Um, a big athletic piece came out, I want to say, on Wednesday, basically saying that Miami is currently shopping Matias Pellegrini. He's 21. He, I think he was their first DP they signed. So that's the other big news. It's, I mean, the Athletic basically pointed out, like, Miami's in a terrible spot. Everyone knows it. They're not going to get a lot if they have to trade Pellegrini. Yeah, and they still haven't actually ruled what the punishment is going to be for last year. So who knows? They, they may even dock them further gam or tam or salary. It's, it's a terrible situation that they easily could have avoided by not being disingenuous with signing Blaze Matuidi um just really strange stuff yeah and Miami's just been since the get-go it seems like they've constantly had struggles uh so I guess that kind of continues and that's maybe just what they are is going to be the franchise that is the Timberwolves of of the MLS so but much more money (laughs) yeah unfortunately as a Timberwolves fan that, that sucked for me to even say um, and then the final thing was Atlanta uh, added a DP. They signed a center back, uh, Alan Franco from Argentina. He's 24. I think that's a really good signing for them just based on, we'll touch on their game uh, coming up. But uh, just from what I saw in that game, I think this is a really good signing for them. Yeah, I so. agree. There aren't a lot of DP center backs, if any, right now. I know Jonathan Mensa from the crew was a DP center back when he was signed and yeah. he was kind of roundly uh it was roundly joked that you know how dare you sign a dp center back ha 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 but i that's smart like spend your money in your spine and this is a great investment he's a center back so i'm sure this is probably mostly due to his uh transfer fee um, yeah rather than his salary the argentine Primera, their first division so i'm sure the transfer fee was pretty pretty steep yeah and he's young. I'm sure that plays a factor too. 24 is still really young, you it's know. Young. I mean, I feel like defenders kind of peak later than other positions. So, yeah, I, I agree completely with the spine thing. You can definitely see the teams that have been very successful in MLS in the last 10 years have not been spending money on wingers who like DP wingers. They've been building around a 10, you know, a six or an eight, and a striker. I yeah. mean. Seattle crew, I'm trying to think Portland is in the same boat. Uh, you know, those teams have all been very successful and they aren't spending on quick, fast wingers. I think uh, even Austin. Austin has spent a little money on um, on some wingers, but the guy they've got, Pochettino, is, is you know, they're treating him like a 10 for, for marketing purposes, but he's an 8 and he's going to be right in the middle and, and be able to, you know, be one of those not very sexy but very effective players for them if things go well. Yeah, I think the eights kind of get a bad rap. It's such an important position, you know, just controlling the game. And, you know, if I'm building a team, I don't know if I want a sexy 10 first or the solid stability of an eight and just kind of grinding out games until, you know, especially with the pandemic, I can scout better to find the 10 I want. That's just me. I, so I do oh, think before we get started, mm-hmm. there was, I don't know if you saw it or if you sent it along. There was a pretty interesting article. I think it was on MLS Soccer. It was uh, on the MLS Soccer website about how, despite the rest of the world sort of moving away from the attacking number 10s who are like staying in the middle of your field and dictating play, MLS has been this beacon for 
for these kind of like small, fast, smart, creative players. And it always has been, you know, every team has always been something about America. You know, we love the quarterback. We love the point guard. Um, we love the guy who has the ball and pulls the strings. And it's, it's been interesting to see how we have kept the number 10 alive and we've been able to rejuvenate careers of guys who just don't fit in Spain or don't fit in Mexico anymore because they're not using the 10 the same way. You know, Mexico's a little different, but um, I, I thought that was fascinating to see that, you know, every team almost, if you if you think about it, has a 10. Every single team in MLS. And then look at, like, Chelsea, who has Christian Pulisic, who's wearing the number 10, but he's playing as a winger. I think it's definitely interesting. The Pulisic point is also interesting because with the U.S. team, he's best suited as a 10. I think that's kind of shown. But, yeah, and yeah definitely in the EPL, they're really isn't any team that's successful that's using a 10 i would say uh, in the way that mls does still kind of works in spain a little bit i mean yeah. you think about the glory years of spain with messi obviously yeah. being the premier 10 but for sure not a lot of leagues are doing it and you know a lot of the 10s coming into the mls are young guys who are their value is rising i would not be surprised if it kind of becomes a development ground for the 10 and some of these players end up going to europe sure and maybe that revitalizes it in europe it's i don't know and we'll, we'll talk see. about atlanta too who i think is brought up in that argentine style and has always been successful when they're doing that but their roster doesn't have a 10 right now it's not santiago sosa he's a deep lying midfielder uh, yeah and it's not barco it's either. not barco he's playing on the wing and doing everything you know they're they're they just don't have a 10 I would like to say from watching the game that Barco's actually just a rover. Uh, he was everywhere. Yep, he so. sure was. <laughs> uh, but we'll get to that. So now that we've kind of been alluding to the champion or the CONCACAF Champions League uh, games, we'll kick it off. We'll start. We'll just go in order of when games were played. So we'll start with Portland uh, versus Marathon. It was The game was in Honduras. I believe all the games, none of the MLS sides hosted. Um, so just for reference, these were all away games. Final score was uh, Marathon 2, Portland 2. Uh, Portland's goals came from Filippo Mora. And then uh, if you look, it says that uh, the Valeri didn't score their second goal because it bounced off the keeper and then went in. And so it's been marked as an own goal. But if you watched the game, Valeri had a delicious free kick goal. So I'm going to give him credit. And then uh, Maritone had Castillo and Ramirez. And um, I think my big takeaway from this game is exactly what we were talking about in the preview for Portland is they would get out to a lead and then immediately give up the lead. So that's still a problem for them. That's obviously very early. This is, you know, their first competitive game of the year, but it seems like that problem is still existing. You know, Portland scored in the 35th, Marathon scored in the 39th. Portland then scored in the 59th, Marathon scored in the 68th. So other than that, I think my other big takeaway from the game was it was a very competitive game. Uh, field looked really sloppy. Um, if anyone was following the pre-match stuff, there was a ton of rain uh, before that game. So it was chunky. You saw divots. Play was kind of interesting. Um, but it, it seemed like an even match. I think going forward, I'm not worried about Portland. I think they will take care of business at home. I think they are the better, more physical side. Um, and just the conditions you know, weren't right. But again, as we've been talking about, they could get a lead and give it up. So who knows? Yeah, I agree that it did seem like a really even match, which which isn't a good sign for me for Portland. You know, they, they pretty much dominated the first half despite giving up a goal uh, near halftime to tie it up. They, and they looked really, really good doing it, moving around the field. Everyone was everywhere. But then the second half, they looked totally gassed. And it makes sense. It's the first game, first competitive game of the season. They're going to be tired, but they just looked like they were totally out of shape. Their defense was everywhere. They couldn't handle anyone in transition. So that's a problem they're going to have to resolve at some point. And, you know, Diego Char is not getting any younger. Yeah, and I was not necessarily impressed with Yimmy Chara in the game. He had flashes, but for the most part, I I don't know. It's an interesting DP to have, I suppose, is where I'm at with Yimmy Chara. I came away liking him a little bit more than that. You know, I think he was making some pretty solid entry-level passes, but... He doesn't offer much in defense. I, I know he's a winger, and that's not really his job, but he doesn't offer a lot going back. He's uh, so small. I think we both we both thought uh, Espria was pretty terrible. You know, He had a ton of chances to finish and probably oh. should have had a couple goals and didn't. 
yeah, I was pretty surprised. He had, you know, he also just missed chances. There were a couple times I'm thinking early in the first half where if he wouldn't have just taken an extra touch to try and get a shot, he had someone streaking almost wide open that he could have just tapped it over. So yeah, I I completely agree with the Espria comments. Uh, My other thoughts for this game was I think Marathon did something really smart in the first half. They kind of laid back and just let Portland basically have the ball in the middle third without any pressure. And then in the second half, they ratcheted it up and they pressured everything in the middle third. And I think that just caught Portland off guard. I think they kind of settled into, oh, I have the ball here. I'm gonna have time to kind of slowly dribble up, you know, play it out wide, you know, and then that completely changed in the second half. I thought they did, Marathon did a good job of adjusting their game plan. And that's really what benefited them in the second half for me and why they looked better. I think we saw that same sort of tactic from a lot of these teams who realized that the MLS sides were playing their first competitive match and they're like, okay, we'll let them settle into the game. If we can keep it close, we're going to start attacking in the second half when we know they're going to be tired and we know we've got a chance to hit on the counter. Yeah, um, and it and it made it's sense. just smart, yeah. you know. I, I think all those teams, I think there are a couple exceptions to that. But sure. for the most part, I would say that that's kind of where it is going forward. So The, oh, yeah. the standout player for me from this game was Eric Williamson. He was very, very good for Portland. Very clearly showed that he was upset about not being included in that U23 Olympic uh, failure team, I think is fair to say. He was playing a number eight beside Diego Chara, but really pushing forward to attack. You know, the second best creative player on the team in this match, aside from Diego Valeri. And I also think it's interesting that we didn't see Jeremy Ibobase on the bench when he was excluded from that U.S. Olympic team as well because of injury. So he's still getting over whatever sort of nagging injury he has. And I really like uh, Ibobase, so I hope he can can recover quickly. Yeah, and I was just going to say what the fortune of this game would have been if Ibobase would have been there starting a striker over Asprilla if this game turns out different. I agree. I think, you know, obviously I... It's unfair to just be like, well, Valeri was the best player on the field because he was, but like obvious. I think that's obvious. I think Valeri's been doing it long enough that that shouldn't come to a surprise to anyone. But yeah, yeah, I thought they were really good. I just, I think they'll be fine in Portland. I think the field conditions will be better. It'll be, you know, a home game for them. Um, You know, obviously having those two away goals is huge in this type of setting. So. All right, I think we'll just keep it moving and keep things going pretty quickly. So we're going to move to the next game, which is, I'm going to butcher this, Alajuelense? Alajuelense. Alajuelense versus Atlanta, who I keep spelling as Atalanta, so that's going super well. And that game was in Costa Rica. The final score was uh, Alajuelense 0, Atlanta 1, and the goal came from Barco. It was a PK. So to just touch on the goal real quick, Atlanta stole the ball and Barco got the ball kind of in the middle of the field and no one closed down on him. He just dribbled straight up to the 18, played it out wide, a cross came in and uh, an Alajuense player slid to try and block the cross, had his arm raised, uh, clipped him, it looked like kind of in the armpit, tricep area, uh, and a handball was immediately called. I think it was the right call. I think his arm was raised rather high and it did appear to clip his arm first so i think it was the correct call um it obviously put the cross out of bounds i will say barco's uh pk the keeper was on it uh he slid it just past him um so you know i'm not taking the lucky goal goal's a goal but um not not the most impressive pk i've ever seen so that's kind of the goal situation um the other big news from this game was guzan got a red card for a really bad tackle i you know it's a tough call. I get the red card. There was no one between him, obviously, and the player when he slid in late and clipped the player. So it's a clear goal-scoring opportunity, and I think that's why it's a red. I think, you know, the question that was kind of talked about in the commentary of the game was whether the Alajuense player was even going to be able to get to the ball after he tapped it. But I think it was still the right call. You that's an impossible thing. It's kind of like in the NFL when they're like, oh, was that a catchable pass or not? You know? Yeah, I'm with uh, you. It's it's a red card. He 
Guzan has no bad intent, and I, you know, the guy from Alajuelense looked like he was injured. I, I hope he was not hurt. I hope he was, you know, milking it a little bit, which I do not at all fault. But it was a clear red. He slid, he missed the ball, he got the dude, knocked him over. It was a red card, and the ref accidentally bringing out the yellow while Alajuelense's players are surrounding him about to go off was pretty funny, and then he finally gets the yeah. red, and they just all, they all immediately disperse like he just like farted or something <laughs> it was just it's hilarious to see these guys do this mass confrontation and then the ref finally takes the red out and they're like okay we're, we're good see you later yeah it was i think it kind of was clear the ref realized he grabbed the wrong card he finally looked down i think he thought he had the red in his hand it was yeah. confused why he was being surrounded and finally looked down and was like oh like this is the worst magic trick of all time my bad agreed i i think everyone you know even i believe the Alapanza players don't think that Guzan had bad intent. Like he immediately yeah. was up trying to like comfort the player. Like it was just a bad tackle. And uh, this is leading into this bad tackle is going to lead into my big takeaway from the game, which is Atlanta and the high press did not look like it was working. Uh, they obviously won this game, but if you were watching it, I think getting a one Oh win away a is huge, but be extremely lucky. Alahuete had so many chances Mm -hmm. um, and they were just picking apart Atlanta, but you know, credit to Atlanta. They kept their shape. Their defense appeared to communicate really well. Their backup goalie played extremely well. And so, you know, credit for them for holding on for that one Oh win. But uh, the backline issue, I think is going to be a huge problem for them going forward. Um, Yeah, I agree. I think that this is, Alajuelense is probably the second best team that an MLS team played so far, aside from Leon. You know, they're... Oh yeah, you think Leon was the best? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Alajuelense. I mean, they're they're called La Liga for a reason. You know, they are. You know, it's them and Saprissa in the Costa Rican league, and they're both very very good. And they still were able to get off seventeen shots on goal against Atlanta. Yeah. Seven or seventeen shots, excuse me, seven shots on goal. That's an absurd number not to give up a goal. Uh, and Atlanta was just lucky. How many shots were directly at their keeper? A lot. A and lot. there were, uh, I will say this, this is kind of to the point I was saying about Atlanta and their defense keeping shape. They blocked a lot of shots. I mean, it looked like a power play and they were the team down a man and they were just sliding and blocking shots. Yeah. So credit to them for going all out. And but the yeah, ex- no. Yeah, I- the the expected goals for for this game do sort of bear out the result, but most of that is because Atlanta got a penalty. You know, when you've got a yeah. penalty, it's like almost one as an expected goal, and Alajuelense is just a little bit under one, if not exactly at one for their uh, or yeah, they're they're kind of far. They're they're quite a bit under one. So you know, I think it's safe to say a lot of their shots weren't great shots, but they were still shots, and they could have gone in. Um, yeah. You know, if there's a t- if you got a 25% chance of scoring from a shot, then, you know, that's one in four. That's not bad. Um, shoot or shoot. I, I do agree with your your point on Atlanta's formation. I think they got incredibly lucky to come away with a point on the road, or with three points on the road and a win, playing yeah. that 3-4-3 three, three that almost no one in MLS is playing. You know, it works. A lot of people are doing it these days. Uh, many people are doing this. But... They've got Santiago Sosa, their new signing, dropping back as a center back in between the two, other two center backs. So I, I'm assuming that's why they're signing uh, this guy from Argentina, this DP center back, Franco. You, you don't want your number eight playing that deep all the time when you nominally have three center backs. You know, if he yeah. can play that deep and then move forward, great. But if he's always dropping in that deep, I just, I don't know. And maybe this was their defensive setup. Maybe this is them saying... Yeah, we know Alajuelense is really good. We we think we're going to give up the ball, but we think this is our only chance, and that's fine. Or maybe they're doing that Dutch thing that DeBoer was doing still, which it does seem like uh, Gabriel Heinze mm-hmm. wants to do. And that's a little frightening for me if I'm an Atlanta fan. But we'll see. I mean, they could be totally fine. Yeah. I think my second takeaway from this game, when Atlanta had sustained possession, they looked good. They just looked like they were missing a creative striker someone who could kind of run channels smartly 
get the ball and create a chance. Yeah. Specifically, I, I wrote this out when I was taking notes for the game. Early in the game, Atlanta uh, was putting pressure on the defensive third of Alajuense, and it resulted in a corner. They took the corner, the ball kind of came back out, and because there was no one for them to cross the ball back in, they played it back, and the ball ended up going all the way back to Guzan, who was then pressured because Alajuense was running kind of a press, and he just booted it back upfield, and they lost possession. You know, I think in a different situation, you know, a different team, I think that ball doesn't go all the way back. I think it, you know, someone tries to make something happen, but it just looked like the Atlanta players were standing there when the ball came back out. Um, yeah. They, it was they a little had... interesting, and obviously that's a microcosm, you know. There could have been a lot of things, but... They had Eric Lopez up up top, and he just wasn't great. Uh, he, he's really young, so he's excused for not being great. And then they brought Joseph in later. And if Joseph's healthy this year, I think that's – he's yeah. the, one of the best strikers ever in MLS, if not the best. I think he's the best striker to ever play in MLS. By best, I mean most in form, you know, playing in his prime, all of the above. He is the best striker in MLS. And if he's able to get back to 75% of where he was before his injury – then they're going to be... I can't see them not making the playoffs, at least. I agree with that, yeah. Um, I just got a text. Uh, Davis says, Chris Wondolowski. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I think if you're Atlanta, you have to be happy with a 1-0 win, despite how it looked. I think it was, for the most part, a pretty entertaining game. Just, um, you know... Atlanta was down to 10 men and held on and scored with 10 men. So I just, I got to give it up to them. I think good coaching. They brought in a lot of young players. They actually used their subs. They brought in a lot of young players and it seemed like the people they brought in knew what they were doing and doing a good job. So I'm going to give credit to them. I don't, I don't even want to predict the second leg of this one, but if they face as many shots as they face in this game, I don't know how they advance, but Stranger things have happened. Agreed. It would be great to see, you know, three, maybe four teams from MLS advance. So uh, do you have any other thoughts for this game? Or No, I agree. I think they're probably the most likely team that gets bounced in the next round, second most likely uh, to Toronto. They're going to give up a goal, and it just depends yeah. on whether they can get another goal. Yeah. I guess I missed this completely. I just want to, we've touched on it, but I think Barco looked so good for them. But as you mentioned, the biggest issue for him was he had to track back so deep to get the ball to try and go forward. I think he was uh, good and bad. Uh, he's he's <laughs> at least floating. He's being more creative, which is good. But he's also the reason that Brad Guzan got that red card. He, yep. he intercepts the ball and he plays the saddest hospital pass backward that was easily intercepted. Just no pace on it. Slow roller. He switched off for just a second. And you can't do that against a team as good as El Juelense. Yeah, I completely agree with that. So we'll just keep it rolling along. I think that kind of sums up that match. Third match, we just mentioned, Saprise played Philadelphia Union. And Philly won uh, one to nothing. Uh, This game was in Costa Rica. Um, and their goal came from Casper uh, Shabelko. I think I said that right. Yeah, he did. Uh, in the 34th minute, scored on a header. It was a good cross, good play. My big takeaway from this game was Philadelphia looked very good. Much better than I thought they were going to look. And I thought they had a tough matchup with Saprise. I thought, you know, Saprise has... I can't remember. I think they mentioned it in the game, but Saprise has just dominated that. Uh, league, they I think they have won it the most times out of anyone. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one Saprisa of... and Alajuelense are both just by far the top two teams in the league and yeah. unable to uh, to be stopped up there. Yeah, and I think Saprisa is the only or one of the few teams that's not a, a Liga MX team to ever win the CONCACAF Champions League. So that just kind of goes to how good they are. With that said, they definitely, it was mentioned quite often, uh, caught Saprisa at a, a good time. Uh, Saprisa has not won a league fixture since February, I yeah. believe is what they were saying. Mm-hmm. They have an interim coach right now. They were very injured, riddled. So that a lot of things were kind of breaking for Philly uh, in this game. Uh, that said, Philly came in with some injuries as well. So, 
you know, Shabelko played, uh, even though he, you could see constantly throughout the game, he kept grabbing his lower back. Um, apparently he's dealing with a back issue right now. Um, he toughed it out. So good on him. He looked good. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I agree that much. I, th- I think Shabilko did well to score, but he had quite a few chances and it may have been because mm-hmm. of his injury that he wasn't able to put him away. But yeah, he was, you know, he, he's not going to be there starting forward. I would imagine he did well, re- really well last year, but he's going to be one of a few different guys that they put up there. Yeah, he's he's pretty old too, if I remember correctly. I think he's he's like twenty six. He's not that old. Okay. Yeah. I thought he was in his thirties for some reason. No, they got yeah. him. He was almost retiring, and he That's went over was. to Philly as a younger player. Didn't didn't play, didn't play, and then finally, like last year, sort of it clicked for him. Yeah, uh, he's twenty eight. Just so we have a live stat check, I believe he'll turn twenty nine in May. The other big thing uh, from the Philly game, I think the big talking point obviously coming out of this was the last 10 minutes of the game. There was some very CONCACAF refing. I'll just leave it at that. There were a lot of weird plays. There were some retaliatory plays by Philly where one of their players got fouled and it wasn't called. And then someone came in with a late tackle and a yellow was drawn, which led to obviously in the 90th minute, an absolute atrocious tackle by a Saprice player. He just upended, I can't remember who it is, on Philly. Uh, it was uh, Kai Wagner. That's it. Yeah, he, the Saprice player just upended him straight up, cleats up. Uh, should have been an automatic red. No red happened. Uh, the players from both teams immediately came over. Uh, it was a ridiculous scene. Wagner was still on the ground, obviously in pain. I'm honestly surprised he didn't come out. I thought he was legitimately injured. Yeah. But the players just there was a fracas basically around him as he was on the ground. I'm surprised he didn't get stepped on. Ultimately, four yellow cards were issued: uh, two to Philly, two to um, Saprissa, and yeah, the fact that it wasn't a red has been a huge talking point for MLS because it was just a very bad tackle. Agreed. It, it sucked. It was unfortunate. The ref really bungled it, and he should not get another game in this tournament because of that. Um, but luckily no one was injured severely. Yeah, so thankfully. Back to Philly. Yeah, um, yeah and for me, I went back and rewatched this um, because in the moment, like that became my focus. Uh, yeah. But when I rewatched this game, what I noticed was probably around the 75th minute, uh the ref really lost control of the game. Um, And this was just the culmination moment. He had chances to, you know, they were kind of ticky-tacky fouls, but, you know, it was accumulation. Like, some of these should have been yellow cards, and if he would have just thrown an early yellow, I think some of that dies down. Yeah. But he let it build, and this is usually what happens in those situations. That was not great. Uh, Thankfully, again, like you said, no one was seriously injured, um, which I think is the big win here. I, th- um, I thought Leon Flock for Philadelphia was really, really good in his mm-hmm. uh, about 65 minutes he played. He is the young uh, German-American winger that they just purchased who's played very few games uh, for St. Pauli and was available to, to Philly. He sort of looks to me like they're using him as a bit of an Aronson replacement, which is a good idea. You know, he's 20 years old, so they can grab him, see if he plays well for a year or two, and then sell him on if they want. But he was just very quick, very fast, very good on the ball. Looked like he fit right into that system already as a uh, as a part of that diamond that they play. Um, and it's, you know, a really, really good signing for Philly. Yeah. I was going to say, I think we I'm not sure if who made the note, but for both of us, I think uh, Fontana and Martinez were probably the best two players for Philly. Fontana was very good, yeah. Shabelko got the goal uh, and it was a good header and he had moments but like you said he also had moments where maybe it was the back that was bothering him but yeah no I thought Martinez especially early in the game I felt like he put Union in control of that game in the first half and that's why they got the goal he settled things down he made smart passes he looked very good for them so I I thought Bedoya too was once again very very good I have always liked Bedoya always thought he's good he offers a lot going back and he's just so perfect in this um, sort of outside 
right role in a diamond where he gets to play as a wide player on offense, but he also gets to play defensively. So you're not really focusing. He, he's so good as a wide player and he's very good as a, as a defensive player. He, you know, he's like very, to me, he's very tradi- one of those traditional, like old school four, four, two right midfielders. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what he gets to do here. And it works. This is going to sound weird and I don't want it to be mean, but Bedoya had a Bedoya game where yeah. like, he did everything right. He never did anything that was like blow you, you know, get you to stand up and shout like with excitement. But he also never did anything terrible. He just oh, yeah. put in a solid Bedoya performance and that's what he does. Yeah. He's not going to, you know, make you after a game be like, you know, like Bedoya really did it because he's not going to have those flashy moments. But he's never going to have a moment where you're like, I can't believe we we're putting Bedoya on the field. He's just that guy. He's kind of a lunch pail player, I guess, would be the expression. You know, he goes in, does his job, and you know what you're going to get from him. And I think your description of him being an outside winger in a 4-4-2 is perfect for him. Uh, Because he does track back well and play good defense. He stuffed a lot of crosses in that game. Yeah, I think that kind of sums it up. I was pretty impressed with Philadelphia Union. I think that they probably can pull this off in advance. Uh, You know, I think they looked surprisingly the better side i think a lot of that obviously like we said has a lot to do with where saprisa is right now you know for philly philly this next game is a chance for them to kind of step on the neck of saprisa early and just put the game put it away and uh they've shown that they know how to get back and be a compact smart defense so you know if they can score one girl early in that game and just kind of play it out i think they'll they'll be fine to advance yeah they're gonna be upset that they didn't get a second goal because despite saprisa's struggles they're gonna be throwing everything they have into this match next week so of course we'll see we'll see what happens three days yeah side note i love saprisa's kids yeah they're cool that hated they look like stanford but they're cool yeah hated that i think alexi lawless was the commentator uh or the color person whoever it was Apparently their nickname is Purple Monster, but the way he said it was very displeasing for the ears. Yeah. Uh, so anyone who had to deal with that and also was like, please stop saying Purple Monster, you, you weren't alone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, we're going to move to uh, the game where I think arguably the worst-looking MLS game or team, uh, Lyon versus Toronto. You know, it was a tie game. Lyon won, Toronto won. Uh, goals from Toronto, no one. Goals from Lyon? Fernando uh, Nakaro uh, had an amazing goal in the 25th minute. He got a chip to him and volleyed it in. Uh, it was a beautiful goal. I think probably the one of the best goals. Valeri's free kick obviously was awesome as well. And then in one of the weirdest own goals I've ever seen, uh, it happened in the 51st minute. Phil, or not Philly, Toronto was on the break. You know, it was... A smart pass like the pass was perfect going to Josie and the Leon defender did exactly what you should do slid and caught the ball the problem is the ball shot probably 20 feet into the air over their goalie and somehow ended up perfectly in the corner yep uh, it was one of the most bizarre own goals I've ever seen because I mean he hit the ball he wasn't even to the 18 yet he was probably still what two yards from the 18 when yeah. he hit it yeah he was outside the 18 <laughs> Yeah, so you don't often see own goals from that far out. It was weird. I will say, big takeaway from this game is Leon should have won probably three or four to nothing. They just pummeled them. Yeah, um, they had sixty nine percent of possession, and yeah, it showed an absurd amount of shots. Not a ton of shots on goal. They had five shots on goal, and I think fifteen shots overall. But th- there was no real good reason why Toronto ended up with a point. Like great result, great job, Toronto get a point on the road. But they were not good. You know, they've got no. Chris Chris Armis, who was fired from Red Bull last year for, you know, Red Bull is this team that makes their makes their money on being a pressing team, a high pressing team. And Armis said he wanted to move away from that to do, you know, to have his own style. And then he comes to Toronto, a team that's made up of mostly older players that really needed a revamp and says he wants to press again using Josie Altidore and Michael Bradley. I, I still rate Michael Bradley, but Josie as a pressing striker is not what you want. You want Josie creating. You want Josie with the ball at his feet, yeah. not trying to force a guy. I say that, and then their goal comes from Josie pressing. They're going to get throttled if they press. 
for a yeah. whole season. Yeah, they are. I, I don't know how to put it lightly. I'm trying to find a positive for them trying to do this all year, and I, I just don't see one. Josie, will... uh, Josie oh, went out later in the game with an injury. He is getting an MRI, so it's unclear. Um, yeah, it's really weird. He, he's not known to have like hamstring or quad injuries, <laughs> and he did something to his hamstring or quad. I just, oh wait, Josie, Josie, yeah. Uh, I, I really like Josie. I think he's a really good creative player and a really good striker. You know, he's he's so good at kind of almost being that uh, a false, I guess a false nine, where he he is going to act like every every team is going to see Josie and think, oh, we've got this number nine going against us. And Josie wants the ball deep and dribbling at people, and that's when he's really, really good. And that's it just doesn't make sense to have him be this pressing guy and this might be a bit of a uh, a blessing in disguise for Toronto when they can maybe run their press with a younger guy uh, like Akinola up top. And I agree. I also like Josie. I am teasing because the unfortunate thing about Josie is every time he gets going, he unfortunately has an injury. That's just been his career and it stinks because he is good. And I completely agree. You look at Josie just as a player and his physical imposing just look of him you think he is going to be a number nine he's gonna someone's gonna boot the ball up to him he's gonna box you out he's gonna settle it and then he's gonna create chances and that's just not what he is he's always been more creative than that um yeah he is not a hold-up striker at all because he's, yeah he's better than that exactly and that's not to knock hold-up strikers yeah, but that's no. just not what Josie is no. um the one thing I wanted to point out about this game, which, again, on a rewatch, because I'm an insane person, I rewatched all these games. I thought Toronto was super smart. They tried insanely hard in the first 10 minutes to score a goal. And I think their plan was, let's shock them and get an early one. And then we are going to bunker the shit out of this game. Yeah. <laughs> and they had a couple chances in the first 10 minutes. Uh, I think it caught Leon off guard. I don't think Leon was expecting Toronto I think they were expecting Toronto to sit back to start with because Leona is a good team. And Leona's not having a good Liga MX season right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this CONCACAF Champions League means a lot to them and their fans. I think they're probably one of the teams that's most hungry to win this. Sure. Um, and they, I felt like they showed it just in how they played. Yeah, and their I've... fans were not thrilled. No. And Leona's, you know, I, I think you're making a really good point that they're having a, a rough uh, Liga next season, you know, they're ostensibly one of the best couple teams in this tournament, especially with no Tigres. So if yeah. if Toronto gets a result and knocks Lyon out, you know, that leaves just uh, Monterrey and uh, Club America as the only two. Cruz Azul, sorry, I know you guys are there. Uh, yeah, I'm not counting you. But, um, <laughs> you know, as the only two real big, big time uh, Liga next teams with a shot. Yeah, and that's I think that's nothing against Cruz Azul. Obviously, they have a rich history. Yeah. But of the of Monterey and Club America, in their wins, I know we're not talking about the other teams that didn't play MLS teams. Monterey obviously looked awesome. I think they won 3-1, and Club America won 2-1. Yeah. Um, I just... They looked much better than Cruz Azul did. Yeah, and I yeah. still think Cruz Azul looked good. I just think Club America and Monterey are like, you know, 1A, 1B... And Cruz Azul might be, you know, like 1E or something like that. Cruz Azul um, drew, right? 0-0, zero, zero, I think? Uh, I think it was 1-1. One, one. Let me check real quick so we don't have to... It's 0-0. Zero, zero. I've got it up. Okay. All With right. Yeah. Our, our, our Kahai. Wow, great pronunciation. I'm not familiar yeah, with this team. Sued. Which is not... Really, that's not a good result. Um, the Haitian yeah. champion. So that's not a good result for them. No, yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm saying. I yeah. Club America beat Olympia 2-1. Olympia is obviously, I think, one of the better teams um, as well. I think they just got, like, a really bad drawing. <laughs> Cruz Azul uh, had, I'll say, only 11 shots, only two on target, but they had 71% of possession and yeah. more than double the number of passes that the uh, their opponent had. Yeah, Olympia, wow. I watched a little bit of that game. Olympia was kind of uh, bunkering and countering. And it worked. I mean, they got their one goal that way. But um, yeah. So, oh, and I said Monterey won 3-1. They actually won 3 nothing. That's yeah. my mistake. They're, so, they're, just gonna, so they're cruising. Clear. They can rest players, basically, uh, yep. going forward. 
All right, I know we haven't really done a lot on Toronto. We've kind of gotten sidetracked a little bit, but that game, I just don't see how Toronto advances, I think. You know, we talked about this in our previews. Toronto doesn't even get to go home. Like, Yeah, that's fair. They have to play this game in Tampa, and, you know, if you've been following any other North American sports that Toronto has a team in, and you've followed them at all, you have seen quotes from their players talking about how hard it is to be playing somewhere that doesn't even feel like a home and like I'm not trying to knock Tampa at all as a city I think you know I actually have a friend who's a reporter in Tampa the people of Tampa are trying to embrace these teams as their own they're trying to be Raptors fans I I don't think they necessarily are but they're trying and they're trying to give the Raptors and I'm sure they'll try and give Toronto FC a feeling of home but it's never gonna be home it's not the familiarity it's it's just different and i think that doesn't help them at all like they basically have to play two away games and based on that game i i don't see how leon doesn't beat them handedly in the second game yeah so they're playing are, are we sure they're playing in in tampa and not orlando that is a good question. I thought it was Tampa, but it might be Orlando. I might just be confusing it because the I think, Blue Jays... I think they're in Orlando. Or okay, in, yeah. in Kissimmee. So they're like they're playing this their next match at Osceola Heritage Park. And I have no idea what that place is. But it's yeah, I know Kissimmee's I mean, like in the Disney area. Yeah, I'm sure it's one of the Disney fields. I mean, that would make sense. Disney obviously has the facilities for it since they hosted MLS's back. Yeah, I think I was just getting confused because I think the Toronto Blue Jays are playing at their spring spring facility in Tampa, and then obviously the Raptors are playing in Tampa. So I just kind of lumped oh, yeah. it in there. Oh. Yeah, so they're going to play them in Orlando at this this weird location. That's, yeah, I, I don't get it. You know, I, I really am, I mean this sincerely, I am hoping that things ease up and Toronto's able to get back to their home stadium. I think that would mean a lot for their fans. Totally. I think it would mean a lot for the Vancouver fans. I think it would mean a lot for the Montreal fans. But right now, they're just kind of a team without a home. I'm sure that's how it feels for them. And I just don't see, you know, I think they're going to come out motivated and try, but I just don't see how they, they win. It cost it cost Montreal Thierry Henry. He's not coaching anywhere else. He was like, I can't be away from my family for another full year. I'm leaving the team. And I know there were all the Bournemouth rumors, but it's the reality of the situation. It really, really sucks. His family couldn't get over here. So he's gotta like go to go back home and be with his, his kids. I do not fault him at all for that. Not at all. I it'd be very weird and insensitive to do that. Uh and it would be it would be one hell of a take, and I am not not gonna squat on that one. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just real quick had one other quick note I wanted to talk about Jacob Schaffelberg for Toronto. He I, I I was pleasantly surprised with him. I don't know what your thoughts about him were. I thought he was good for them. He was okay. I mean, he's he's not gonna be a regular starter, I don't think, but he's gonna be one of those guys that's in there. I just I don't know how they're gonna make it work with Pozuelo and and Bradley and. Josie if they're trying to press the whole time I hope Armas gets out of that and they he makes do with what he has but I I just don't know I'm not optimistic about them at all I I think uh my thing for Schaffelberg was that I liked that he was not taking any shit yeah from Leon he he dealt it back and did some real CONCACAF shit housery I'm sure somewhere Dempsey was watching that game smiling so <laughs> uh he just needed to score a goal uh get a red card and get an assist and you would have the old Dempsey hat trick. So <laughs> let's move on to uh, the thing that if you have 15 minutes to spare, you can listen to, or you can just skip. I don't really care. Uh, I'll be quicker than that. No, I think this game is actually one of the more fun games to talk about. I think a lot of these games are actually fun. I think the yeah. two hardest ones to talk about were probably Atlanta and Toronto. Real Esteli versus the Columbus crew in Nicaragua. Uh, final score, Real Esteli zero, crew four. Uh, you had goals from Zardes in the 19th and the 33rd minute, a goal from Mensa in the 26th, and Santos scored a PK in the 45th. Santos probably would have scored the best goal of the first leg uh, had he put away that volley in eh, like the 60th minute or so. Yeah, I right off down. the post. Whew. 
and he thought it was in. He I hit it too. and immediately started turning and put his hands up. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, Carew just, I don't know what to say. They physically outmatched Real Esteli. They not only physically outmatched them, they technically outmatched them. They were in every single way the better side in that game. And this result is completely fair and deserved. The one note I have before I'm just going to pass it to you, because <laughs> as our resident Columbus Crew fan, and actually, if you all don't know, Colin writes for the Massive Report, so check out his writing. It's really good. We love to give him shit about it, but he is a talented writer and writes some fantastic pieces. So check that out as well. But before we get to that, I will say this. Riel Esteli, if you only watched the first half, it was 4 nothing, and I think we were chatting about this during the game. I thought it was going to be six or seven, nothing. Their coach who is young, I believe we talked about this. He's only 24. Yeah. He's super young, made some of the best halftime adjustments. I think I've seen from a team that's down for nothing. Yeah. They came out and looked like a completely different team in the second half. Crew probably took their foot off the gas a little bit, you know, put in some younger players, which is great. Get them experience. But I just want to applaud Real Esteli for not giving up, you know, making changes their second half, what they did the second half was a lot different than what they did in the first half. And I would just like to give them credit for what they did. I thought that was a really good managerial decision. And this is not to take away from the crew, but I'm just trying to give Real Esteli, you know, our one Real Esteli listener, obviously, uh, some love. But the result was well-deserved. Crew easily could have had six goals, maybe seven. A little bummer that they didn't let Zardes take the PK so he could have had a hat trick, but... It is what it is. All right, I'm gonna kick it to you. Do you want to just start with the goals and? Well, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll do the I'll do that. But I'm gonna I want to echo what you said about halftime first. Real Esteli lined up in a four four two in the first half. Kind of looked like a four four three at times and defended like a four four two, and it really just didn't work at all. They were their defense wasn't good enough to withstand the crew's attack. And then at halftime, they switched to essentially a four two four and pushed their pushed two extra players up and did this high press and knew that they would catch the crew being tired and did almost got a goal almost got a few goals mm-hmm. and if they would have I would have been pretty nervous for the return leg even though you know 4-1 going home to Columbus is nothing to worry about it, it would have been it would have been scary so I, I totally echo what you said that manager did an incredible job and they really settled into that second half and, and were the better team in the second half but it didn't matter. Yeah, I, w- I would say they were better for stretches. Yeah, uh, for the I first half the majority. an hour, probably. Yeah. I, I also thought, you know, Clyde completely agreed with you on yeah. uh, that almost goal. So He thanks, was good Clyde. this whole time until now. Great. I, I think he also said, don't forget to smash that like and subscribe button. So, <laughs> but yeah, let's let's get to the first Zardes goal. Yeah, so, so take it away. The, the first Zardes goal comes off of a... Both a really interesting entry pass, trying to get behind the defense, which is the way that the crew played the entire game, and then Zardes immediately counter-pressing, uh, which is the crew's bread and butter. The crew can play two ways. One is try to possess the ball and uh, pass you to death. The other is a direct sort of counter-attacking and counter-pressing team. And that's they, they did both in this game. You know, pieces of the first half, they were they were passing a lot. And then pieces like this, they were counter-pressing and scoring goals. So you've got Zeller Allen, who picks up a pass from Nagby, turns, sees Diaz running, hits the pass, under-hits the pass. Uh, It's picked off by Esteli's center back. Zardes immediately jumps on that pass and and hammers it into the bottom uh, left-hand corner of the goal. We're using hammered pretty loosely here. Hammered. When you say counterpressing, are there any famous matches that would demonstrate that counterpress? Maybe an MLS Cup? Yeah, I think I think the Seattle game is, is pretty pretty yeah, good evidence wanna, of that. If you want to see a good example of how effective they can be, just rewatch MLS Cup last year. Uh, and guess guess <laughs> what the possession stats were in this game? You know, honestly, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was pretty close to 50-50. It was. Real Esteli actually had 51% yeah. of possession because the crew... When they possess the ball, they're so much more direct than they used to be. They, they want to go mm-hmm. score a goal and then, you know, maintain their lead because they have a very good defense. Moving on, uh, the next goal was scored by Jonathan Mensah, the captain. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe first, though, he, he got a yellow card. 
there was a little scuffle as Aiden Morris was running off the sideline. Rodriguez from Esteli put a elbow right to his throat for no reason. Yep. So Jonathan Mensa, the captain of the crew, runs over there. You can hear him on the on the recording saying, "What are you doing that for, man?" And gets a yellow card for for running over, which is it's fair. Um, I, I think my biggest complaint from the crew in this match was how many yellow cards they got when there's yellow card accumulation. So you're going to yeah. see some bench players next week in Columbus. Just, just for reference, he scored that goal in the 26th minute and got the yellow in the 28th. Okay, so it was, uh, yeah, so it was after. It was a little after, but... And the goal was pretty fortunate. It was very clearly a uh, like a training ground play. He takes the corner. It's a short, sort of short corner that Zellerion hits to him, and he just scuffs it with his foot, and, and it kind of makes its way into the goal. Yeah, it took a pretty good bounce, didn't yeah. it? Is that the one that bounced? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I uh, mean, still a good goal, just a little fortunate. Yeah, oh, totally fortunate. He's and he's used to scoring goals with his head, and this is that's clearly why they set this play up, to, uh, to kind of throw off the team. Uh, the next crew goal we have came on a really, really good play by Luis Diaz. The ball gets crossed across the goal into the box. Diaz is sort of teeing up this volley, and the Esteli defender jumps in the air like he thinks Diaz is going to hit it first time. And Diaz just brings the ball down, takes a second to gather himself, and then plays a quick square ball to Zardes, who sort of uh, muffs the ball and then is able to, uh, to knock it in the goal. Um, and then finally there's a PK off a good PK call that Santos takes. I agree with your your take that it was a little sad that they didn't give Zardes a chance, but Zardes was over in his PKs last year, and so was Zeller Allen, so that's why. Um, I think they're just saying Santos is doing these. He made all of his. He's going to keep taking our PKs until he misses one. It was a perfect PK. I don't uh, – like, the only reason to let Zardes have it was the Agreed. obvious hat trick. Yeah. So, uh, chance. So, glad that – you know, they let Santos do it. I think, obviously, I think consistency with PKs does matter. So until you've proven you can't do it anymore, keep taking them yeah. uh, so you don't get out of kind of a rhythm. Esteli was ostensibly the weakest team that an MLS team was playing. And I, I do think they were a very well-coached team. But it's it's a 4-0 win when you've got Derek Etienne, who is a right winger playing right back in the game. I thought he did a good job. He wasn't perfect, but he didn't give up a goal. He didn't really get beat. He kept his head. Um, he did exactly what you want out of someone like that. And I'm really hopeful that maybe he's able to become a, a right back backup for this team. Uh, they, they were without Harrison Offal, who is starting right back, and Marlon Hairston. Both were medically unfit to play, which is usually code word for COVID, but the uh, coaching staff said they both had, just had some minor knocks and should be back next week. You're, we're going to see a totally different lineup next week. You'll probably yeah. not see Zellerai on. You're probably not going to see Zardes. You're you're going to see, um, hopefully, Kevin Molino's back, but the crew just really need to, need to get one goal at home and then cruise to a win. Aselli, I think, is obviously going to come out uh, guns blazing. I mean, they don't have a choice. They they've need to get four press. Goals. And, yeah. So, <laughs> at least four goals. Well, they've got to um, get four goals to go to overtime. I think just kind of my one thing I thought that was kind of interesting about this game and kind of surprised me just because of who he is, I think I just wanted more from Zellerayon in this game. And maybe I missed something and, you know, maybe you're – following of the team more you can you know educate me but you know watching the game I just felt like I wanted a little more from him I felt like sometimes he kind of faded out and I thought that there were moments where I thought okay this is going to be the moment that he kind of takes control of the game you know in a traditional 10 spot and maybe it's the way he was being covered or by Esteli but I I for sure like if I was gonna bet on this game beforehand i would have bet that he had a goal yeah uh, so it's a little surprised i i don't disagree he was really not match fit when he came into training his okay. uh his wife's pregnant oh, she hasn't yeah. already had her baby yet so he and her spent some time in argentina in after the mm-hmm. season was over after he was mls cup mvp um so he came into Thank camp a little bit late he came into training camp late and uh has been working his way back into the lineup 
so that's why he was left out for the full 90 to to get more game time. I thought his ability on the ball was once again evident. He was so good on the ball, able to dribble through anyone, but his passing was not there. You know, the goal, yeah. the first goal was a bad pass. He should have he could have hit that pass harder and it would have gotten to Diaz, but it just wasn't a good pass. And he wasn't really looking to shoot that much. You know, he I think he might have had one shot and it wasn't a very good one. Uh, no. but 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 that's just the role he he got to play in this game. You know, they were winning by four goals pretty quickly, and it yeah. didn't really seem to to matter. But um, but I agree. I, his passing wasn't there. It'll get there. It'll just get there with timing. That was the one thing I noticed. Yeah. Kind of. That's fair. I, I, it's not even really a negative. I just thought I was going to see more from him. You know, assist wise or even a goal. But you're right. He did. You know, for moments take the ball and control it's just his his final pass was never what i wanted from him yeah and it was from what there. i've seen from him yeah but yeah i totally spaced i forgot about his wife uh so wishing them both safe health um obviously it's a weird time to be pregnant and having a child so uh. yeah i was um i was pretty worried going into this game just because the crew didn't win any of their preseason games yeah, they uh, lost to Toronto, didn't they? They did. Time. I they they did, but but what they did do is they brought in like six academy guys to training, yeah. and those guys started every single game. So they were really just throwing lineups out there, and I think absolutely was overconfidence by Porter, uh, which Godspeed, God bless his overconfidence. But he saw this Estelle game as both a game they must win, and he knew a game that they could afford to essentially play their first team lineup for the first time together. And if they would have not gotten a result, I would have been pretty cranky. Um, and I wouldn't have been surprised either. So it's, it's good that yeah. they got this result. And, um, you know, I think it pays off um, for them. I think it was definitely a big brain move from Porter. I think he knows he's going to lose a lot of teams to national, or a lot of players to national team duty yeah. uh, this summer. So bringing in young guys from the academy and this kind of preseason warm-ups, you see what you have, you yeah. know, because you're going to have to bring those players in at some point. Um, totally. That's just an issue Crew's going to face and a lot of other teams. So I, I hope uh, I hope Molino's healthy so he can play next week. I hope Matan is with the team so he can play. Just whatever they can do to give guys a break next week as they get into this um, kind, of, kind of really dumb way of qualifying for the U.S. Open Cup. You know, you've got to – the crew only have two games to qualify for the U.S. Open Cup, one against Philly, and I don't remember who their second game is against. Maybe New York City. Yeah, the U.S. Open else. Cup is – I don't like the way it's set up no, this it's, year. No, it's, it's obnoxious. And I'm just – I'm thankful that with, with a 4-0 lead, they've got a game Thursday and a game Sunday next week. First MLS game Sunday. First or second, the home leg of this match is on Thursday. And if they can kind of put out a – a B minus a C plus squad with some guys and then go full strength against a Philly team who won't be able to afford to play a B minus squad um, in three days, then that's going to be great. Just having, having those guys get a little bit more rest when they've got a short week. All right. I think we've touched on every single one of the analyst games. Hopefully that gives you a better understanding of uh, where things line up in CONCACAF champions league right now. The second legs of these games occur this upcoming week, so we will probably record after those games and after the first weekend of MLS. It might come out during a weeknight. We'll get to you guys on that. But thank you all for joining us. Any Brett, final thoughts, before, Colin? Before we go, who do you yeah. have? Who do you have moving on? Who do you have not from MLS? Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so obviously, I think the obvious move on team is the Columbus crew. Sure. So I have them moving on. I have Toronto, obviously, not moving on. I have Philly moving on. I think they're going to pull it off. I have faith in them. I think they're, just from what I saw, I thought they were well coached and they handled a tougher side better than I thought they were would. And like you had mentioned, that game probably could have been 2 nothing. I don't think Saprice, they had a couple chances, but not as many as Philly. So I see them advancing. I don't see Atlanta advancing. And then I have Portland advancing. So I have four of, or three of the five teams advancing. Yep, agreed, same. So Same exact ones. Yeah, Portland, I think, is going to be, again, the most fun match. Sorry, Portland fans, it's probably going to be stressful for you, but uh, I thought those teams were evenly matched up in a good way. I think the reason Portland advances is it is 
obviously their home field, but uh, just the conditions are going to be a lot better and they're just going to handle turf, I think, probably better. Um, I know some of the Central American teams play on turf, but yeah, I just think it's a huge advantage for them. Yeah. Of of those, Philly plays, if Philly wins, they play the winner of the Atlanta series. If Portland wins, they play the winner of the Club America series. If Columbus wins, they're going to play Monterey, which is not ideal. And if Toronto makes it out, they will play the winner of the Cruz Azul series. So I think, you know, of the teams that Philly being able to win is good. I think that they can push. They might get past the quarters. I think crew, unfortunately, lining up against Monterey is going to be very tough. But it's also a good benchmark for them. Yeah, Um, Philly's probably got the easiest road to the to the semifinals they don't have to play in Liga MX team until then otherwise it's you're looking at every single MLS team is probably going to have to play in a Liga MX team next yeah um, next round which is you got to beat them honestly yeah uh I am excited to see probably the Portland Club America matchup yeah I think Portland has a lot to prove I think that 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 could be a fun series in the quarters so I and I also think Crew Monterey, like I said, both of those games series, I guess, would be really good benchmarks for those MLS teams going forward, even if they lose. Totally, um, it can kind of set the tone for the year. So cool. Um, yeah, with those final thoughts, that'll be all from us today. Uh, don't forget to hit that smash and like button. Smash that subscribe and like button. Jeez, Renee is gonna kill me. <laughs> anyway, that'll be all from us. So thanks again for joining us on Hello from the Offside. Goodbye from me. Offsides.